This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 135. I want to take a moment right now to thank all of my listeners for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcasts. So for this week's episode, I wanted to talk about file formats as it relates to photography. Now, some of you may not be aware, but most all cameras on the market today are capable of creating your images in different file formats. You have RAW and you have JPEG. Now, there are new contenders to this world. So, all cameras can shoot images or record images in what's known as a RAW file, and each camera company has their own proprietary RAW file format. Canon has their own with the with the uh, CR2, CR3. Uh, Sony has the ARW, and so on and so forth. I don't remember all the file extensions off the top of my head, especially for cameras I don't use. But the point is, they all have their own proprietary RAW file formats. And you can either use the free software the camera company gives you to convert your raw files, or you can use something like Adobe Photoshop or Adobe Lightroom. Um, you can also use Capture One, or I believe Luminar supports all of the raw file format formats on one photo raw does as well. But we're going to get into a little bit of a discussion as far as raw versus JPEG and the two new contenders which are DNG and HEIC. So, since the beginning of digital photography, there has been an ongoing argument on which is better, RAW or JPEG. And it can, at times, become a heated discussion. Now, I'm going to try to explain the differences between the two and the pros and cons of each one. First up are JPEGs. So JPEGs are compressed photos, which means your camera looks at all of the information it captures via the sensor and only saves the data it deems important. And that's what you get in your finished image file. So a lot of your pixels are being discarded by the camera. Now, what does JPEG stand for? Well, it's Joint Photographic Experts Group which is the committee that created the file format. Sometimes you'll see it as either JPEG, or sometimes you'll see it abbreviated even shorter to just JPG. Now with JPEG, the file is in its modified state, so there's no need to process anything. Once you download the file to your hard drive, it's ready to open for viewing or uploading to social media. The camera also tends to make automatic adjustments such as color enhancements, saturation, exposure, and so on. This format is the standardized format across all brands of cameras so the images are ready to view and print without you having to do any additional work. Now because JPEG files are compressed, they also tend to take up a lot less disk space than a RAW file does. 
So a JPEG image file, let's say, might only take up two megabytes on your memory card. The same file in a RAW format could be 50 megabytes or bigger, depending on the resolution of the sensor in your camera. Now, JPEG files, since they are so much smaller, they can easily be emailed or, as I mentioned a moment ago, uploaded to social media sites such as Flickr or Facebook. And that just makes things easier. Now, in the last few years, believe it or not, uh, the Associated Press and Reuters have started requiring all of their photojournalists to capture everything in JPEG only. Now, the reason for that is, is A, they wanted to eimmonate the possibility of the photographers manipulating the photos in any way, because in photojournalism, you want to present a scene that's as true to real life as possible, so you don't want any manipulation. The other reason why is because the files are smaller, they can be transmitted around the world a lot faster and easier. So if you had a photojournalist who was documenting something in South Africa, for example, um, they could get their images back to their editor in the United States or the United Kingdom, whatever paper they're shooting for or news outlet they're shooting for. They could get those files a lot faster back to their editor because of the much smaller file size. Now, raw files... The raw, the the word raw doesn't really stand for anything. It just tells you that the files are uncompressed and exactly as the camera's sensor sees the scene. So just like in the way your eye sees the scene, a raw file is everything that the sensor could see. If the camera collects 50 megabytes of data, then the file's 50 megabytes in size. Now, what this means is that you can print the image in considerably larger formats than you can with a JPEG. When shooting in RAW, you may need to make, uh, you may need larger memory cards or more memory cards when you're out on a shoot so that you don't run out of storage capacity during your shoot. And you will most likely need an extra external hard drive to store your RAW images and to process them from. And again, now remember, that's because RAW files are considerably larger. The raw file in its all-natural form, and as a result, it is in its all-natural form, and as a result, the file needs to be processed using special software. And this gives you full control over your colors, your vibrance, your saturation, exposure, highlights, shadows, and so on. Now, raw files cannot be opened by everything like a JPEG can be, and they cannot be easily emailed or uploaded to websites because websites won't know how to render a RAW file. Mail servers will also not allow these extremely large files to be sent over the internet as an email attachment. Now, again, because the RAW file is RAW, it's all the RAW data from the sensor, you're going to need a third-party software to process the raw file and then output a finished JPEG that you can upload to social media or that you can email or easily print, so on and so forth. And as I mentioned at the top of this episode, there's a lot of programs out there that can process raw files. You have Adobe software, Photoshop and Lightroom. You've got On One Photo Raw. You've got Capture One. You've got Luminar. You've even got GIMP, which is a open source program that's available for Mac, Windows, and Linux, all three. And then, of course, you have the free raw processing software that comes with your camera. 
Canon has their own, Sony, Nikon, Fuji, all of them make their own raw converters that you can use. Now, most photographers don't like to use the free software from the camera company because it's not really great software. It's, it's fairly low quality software. It'll get the job done. But if you're uh, a photographer that really likes to post-process your images, you're going to want to go with a third-party option, which means you're going to have to spend a little bit of money um, to make your life easier in processing these RAW files. Now, for myself, I prefer to shoot everything in RAW. Now, the exception to that is, is when I'm shooting my real estate work. The company that I contract with decided a couple of years ago to have all of us shoot in JPEG because they switched to having us upload the photos on site. So when I get finished photographing a house for a client, I upload the files immediately using my iPad to Dropbox so that then the people in the post-processing department, our editors, can get the files quickly. They can make whatever edits need to be made, you know, and then upload the images to the client's uh, listing site. So that just makes things quicker and easier. But when I'm shooting anything else, I always shoot in RAW. Now, granted, I'm using more memory card space. I'm using more disk space. But to be honest, in this day and age, memory cards, most of them aren't super expensive. And external hard drives are fairly inexpensive as well. So it's not that big a deal for me, you know, to uh, shoot in RAW. I'm just looking on Amazon. You can get a 64 gigabyte SanDisk Extreme Pro SD memory card for $18.89. So they're not super expensive. If you prefer the Ultra, if you don't need the 170 megabits a second for the Extreme Pro, uh, you can get the 100 megabit a second uh, SanDisk Ultra in a 64 gig for only $12. So for me, I would spend the extra six bucks and get the faster card. Now, they do get a little more expensive when you're looking at UHS-2 versus UHS-1, um, which a lot of the newer cameras that take SD cards do have UHS-2 card slots, and they're capable of using those faster cards. The UHS-2, you can get SD cards as fast as 300 megabits a second, which is really nice, especially if you're shooting sports or something like that, where you need your camera to be able to record those images quickly and continue shooting, especially if you're using your continuous shooting mode. And especially if you have a newer camera like the newer Sonys and the A9 series or the Canon R5 or R6 that are capable of 20 and 30 frames per second. Uh, you definitely want to have a faster memory card that's got the ability to keep up with the performance on the camera. So, like I said, the uh, SD cards are fairly inexpensive and external hard drives are fairly inexpensive. I mean, you can go on Amazon right now and you can get a two terabyte Western Digital Elements portable external hard drive for $59.99. So the hard drives aren't super expensive either. Now, I understand that some of my listeners will probably have a fixed budget or a limited budget. Maybe you're a hobbyist or an amateur, or maybe you're still a photography student. So you're looking to save as much money as you can. Then, yes, absolutely, in your case, maybe you are better off shooting in JPEG. Uh, just because you'll have to buy, you can buy smaller memory cards and you don't need all the external hard drives to store your RAW files. But I personally prefer to shoot in RAW because it gives me the greatest control over my images and what the final image is going to look like. So 
I do prefer to shoot raw. I recommend raw to everybody, and some people do prefer to shoot raw and JPEG both, and most all cameras can do that, even if it's a single memory card camera like my EOS R or RP, you can still configure the camera in the settings menu to record both RAW and JPEG at the same time. So if you're shooting something where you need to be able to get the images to a client right away, but you want to have a full RAW file for yourself for your purposes, you can have your camera record both at once to the same memory card and it'll just put each file in a separate folder. If you have a camera with dual memory card slots, then you could have it write the RAW files to one memory card and the JPEGs to another, which just makes things a little more convenient for you. Now, I'm going to take a short break right here, and then I will be right back. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag liamphotopodcast. And now back to the show. And we're back. Okay, so now let's move over to the newer file contenders in the photography world. First up, we have DNG, which stands for digital negative. Now, this is a patented, open, lossless RAW image format that was developed by Adobe to be used for digital photography. Adobe's a license allows use without cost on the condition that the licensee prominently displays text saying it is licensed from Adobe in source and documentation. Now, the nice thing about a DNG RAW file is that a DNG file takes up less disk space on your hard drive and there's no loss of the original raw data. So you get kind of the best of both worlds. You still have a raw file that you can do all of your post-processing with, and at the same time, it'll eat up less space on your hard drives or your memory cards. Now, not every camera is capable of recording its images in DNG. There are a handful of them out there that can. The... Um, I'm drawing a blank here. I apologize. The uh, the DJI drones are capable of recording in DNG format. Uh, the new Fujifilm GFX 100S offers DNG as an option, as do the Phase One cameras. And I'm not sure, but I think even the Hasselblad cameras offer DNG. I'm not sure if any of the other manufacturers do or not. I know Canon currently does not. Uh, I think Sony might, but don't quote me on that. I could be wrong. But basically, it is a new generation of RAW file format, and it's one that takes up less space, still gives you full control of your post-processing, and the DNG is based on the TIFF slash EP standard format, and so it mandates significant use of metadata. Use of the file format, again, is royalty-free. Adobe has published a license allowing anyone to exploit DNG and has also stated that there are no known intellectual property encumbrances or license requirements for DNG. Uh, 
Now, Adobe stated that if there were a consensus that DNG should be controlled by a standards body, they were open to the idea. Adobe has submitted DNG to ISO for incorporation into their revision of the TIFF slash EP standard. Now, I know you're going to ask me, or you're probably asking me as you're listening to this, well, okay, a DNG is great, but how, how am I going to get DNG files so I can clean up some, or free up some of my disk space? Well, Adobe thought of that, and they were nice enough to create a DNG converter. Now, this is a free utility that you can download from Adobe's website, and I'll include a link to it in the show notes. You download this application, install it on your Windows or Mac computer, and you can use this software to convert all of your proprietary RAW files into DNG RAW files. You can choose when you're done to keep your original RAW files or get rid of them so that you can free up the disk space. That's all up to you. Now, most all of the major photo editing programs do already support DNG because Adobe created it quite some time ago. Uh, The initial release was in 2004, so 16, 17 years ago. So most of the raw image processing software, of course, Adobe software supports DNG. I believe Capture One does as well. Luminar does on one photo raw. Most all of the big photo editing programs do support DNG files. So you don't have to worry about, you know, converting all of your regular raw files to DNG and then not being able to edit them. So you don't don't have to worry about that. You're good to go. Now, I've been debating on whether or not I want to convert all of my raw files to DNG. I've done batches of them at different times, and then I kind of got away from it again. And it's mostly just because I have the storage space. So um, it's not that bad for me to buy an additional hard drive or bigger hard drives as I need them. I have a RAID 10 storage array that I keep all of my raw files on, and it's 80 terabytes. So I don't really need to worry about storage at this point in time. And I'm still kind of on the fence whether or not I want to convert all of my raw files to DNG. It is definitely a space saver, but I don't know. I'm still going back and forth on whether or not I want to convert all of mine. But a lot of people do. So I don't want you to think that I'm being negative on the DNG file format. Absolutely not. I have used it. It seems to work great. It does reduce the amount of disk space on your hard drives and your memory cards for storing your raw files. So that can be a win-win for a lot of people. So it's definitely a file format that you may want to consider. Okay, and now the newest contender in the world of photographic file formats is HEIC. Now, HEIC stands for High Efficiency Image File. This is something new that Apple created as a container for photographs. And it's a container format that compresses photos in order to save space, but it does a more efficient job of it than the old standard JPEG. HEIC files are available on all of the iPhones from iPhone 7 and later, running iOS 11 and later as their operating system. Now, under most circumstances, you won't even notice the file format of your photos, but occasionally you may run into technical difficulties when transferring your photos photo files from your iPhone to your computer or cloud storage. Now, some of the camera manufacturers are looking at supporting HEIC format going forward. And the reason for that is, is because like I mentioned a moment ago, 
HEIC is a higher quality compressed image, so it takes up less disk space than JPEG, but it also at the same time gives you a higher quality non-RAW image. Now, is HEIC better than JPEG? Well, the short answer is yes. HEIC is considerably better than the JPEG file format. Not only is the file size about half that of a standard JPEG, but the image quality is much better as well. Now, the biggest drawbacks to using HEIC files is that they aren't supported by every device and software, at least not yet. While we wait for the technology to catch up, we have to deal with the headache of transferring HEIC photos to JPEGs for use with some applications. Now, to give you an example, what I've run into with HEIC files is I can upload them to Facebook, no problem. And I believe I can also upload them to Twitter, no problem. But if I want to list something for sale on Craigslist, Craigslist's software, their website doesn't support HEIC files. So I have to open the HEIC files, convert them to JPEG, and then I can upload them to Craigslist. But the nice thing is you're still saving disk space because, again, HEIC files are half the size of JPEG and higher quality at the same time, which is a real convenience. If, like I talked about at the top of this episode, if your your file in JPEG format is two megabytes, then in HEIC, it's going to be one megabyte or less. And you're still going to get a much higher quality non-RAW image. Now, you can turn off the HEIC option in your iPhone. I'm not going to go into all of that uh, because this isn't an iPhone episode. It's a file format episode. Um, so we'll have to wait and see what happens going forward. Hopefully, all of the camera manufacturers at some point will embrace HEIC as the replacement for JPEG. Hopefully, it'll get internationally standardized and all of that good stuff, whatever the whole process is. And HEIC will finally retire JPEG because JPEG's been around for a long time it's kind of an old and tired file format and in my opinion it's time for it to be replaced so if you can replace it with a a new file format that's smaller with higher quality images why wouldn't you want to go that route again you're going to be saving disk space you're going to be getting better quality non-raw finished images so it's pretty much a win-win for everybody Remember to check out the Land Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group, and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you are in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. 
All right, and that is going to wrap up this episode 135 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcast. And please feel free to leave a comment on this episode. Let me know which file formats do you prefer. Do you use your camera's native RAW? Do you shoot everything in JPEG? Or are you interested in embracing the newer technologies with Adobe DNG RAW files and Apple's HEIC non-RAW file formats? Let me know. Don't be afraid to let me know. You can also shoot a text to the number that was mentioned a moment ago. You can call or text either one. Leave your comments or questions in regards to the file format questions, uh, which one's you think would be best for you, or if you have questions and want recommendations on which route you should go, feel free to reach out to the show. And again, you can also email me at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. All right, that's going to wrap up this episode, and I will see you all again in another seven days.